welcome to NDG Winning Season 3, Episode 10. Wow, S3, E10. What is that? What's the, what does it mean? You know, S3, E10, that's the, uh, the suffixes of the postal codes that are impacted by this massive power outage oh. that just hit NDG 20 minutes ago. We had to retreat to our secret NDG winning bunker, <laughs> our second location, <laughs> to actually do this recording. Exactly, and, exactly. Uh, thankfully, we have power uh, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 at our underground bunker. Uh, Dave, today, yes. tell me, we are welcoming a very special guest really? to our podcast. Tell me. It's uh, Lionel Perez. V. The Lionel Perez. No way. The challenger to Sue Montgomery in the mayoral election wow. Arboro. Let me welcome Lionel to, to our podcast. Hi, Adam. Hi, Dave. Thank Hello. you so much for inviting me. It's great to have you. Uh, for those who don't know you, I want uh, everyone to know uh, that Lionel is the interim lead leader of Ensemble Montréal. Oh. Well, that's no longer the case. Okay. Denis Kadere, um became the leader. Um, but I am still the leader of the opposition at City Hall. Aha. Ah, that's it. Wow. Well, look, this is the highest it's ranking. This, this is, we're in the presence of important. Uh, highest ranking. Highest ranking person highest ranking. ever to be on our show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I fumbled. I, the I, I, have, I have a question, Adam. Yes. You, you presented me as the challenger to the current borough mayor. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I like that. Um, you know, characterization in the sense that we're, we're, we're not in a boxing match. You know, I'm not the, you know, the first rank contender. I'm, <laughs> I'm Lionel Perez, you know, current elected official running for Ensemble Montréal to present my view. So, I mean, it's, it's fine. I don't have an issue with it, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's absolutely. I, she's, the, she's the incumbent. She's the incumbent. Right. And, you know, and, and that means something. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, I wanted to raise it with you. I, I, I appreciate you putting that precision on that uh, you're a candidate and needn't be characterized as a challenger as if as if there had to be one. Um, I did. I fumbled the first item on your resume. Uh, but I do want to mention that to our listeners that you've been a counselor since 2012. Uh, a city. What? 2009. I, I knew that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to still defend your eyes. I, you know, what I said I'm going to let run. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to fire the whole research. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, you know, I'll let Adam run. It's so, 2009 even. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we get into substance of the election, uh, Dave and I wanted to turn to the very tragic events that happened in London, Ontario a few days ago and the initiative that you led uh, with Christian Arsenault. And I just want you to tell us a bit about that and how it went over at the city council. Sure. I mean, I think we were all uh, shell-shocked Monday mm -hmm. afternoon when we heard the despicable and, and atrocious news that a, a family was uh, bowled over right by, by this car in London and the police um, immediately suggested that it was um, hate-motivated and specifically because they were of the Muslim faith. We know it's, it's a tragedy. There was four members of the family that died and there's still one of the children which is nine which is in the hospital fighting for his life he's now an orphan um and it really for me brought haunting memories of the attack 
uh, of the mosque, great mosque attack in Quebec City four years ago. Um, you know, those wounds are, aren't fully healed. And right away, um, um, you know, myself and Christian, we said we got to do something. Uh, it, it was, you know, an hour ago, um, I was able to draft a, a, a motion um, that basically um, condemned the, the event, obviously. It goes without saying. It also, um, you know, condolences to the families and to the entire community, both in London as well as in Montreal. And obviously a show of solidarity. Um, and, and for me, the most important thing is really to realize how it's almost becoming, unfortunately, commonplace. Like, we're, we're starting to hear about the attack in Quebec City. We're having in London. There was an incident in Etobicoke. In Montreal, we've had issues with anti-Semitism over the last month where people are just being spit at and being threatened and beat up for no reason other than their faith or other identifiable. Over the last year, the Asian and Chinese community have been targeted by, you know, by, by, by hooligans because they think that they should be responsible for the, um, the, the COVID pandemic. So I actually was tonight before, before coming on, I, I went to the vigil that we had at Place des Arts and I spoke and I, and I conveyed all those messages and obviously it was unanimous. We're all on the same page, but I think it's so important for us collectively as leaders, as elected officials to announce it forcefully and immediately because although these are people on the fringes, um, if you allow it to become almost normalized, then it's a scary, slippery, uh, you know, slope. I mean, and the, the the issue that I always bring up every year when it's it's Holocaust Memorial Day is that, you know, the Holocaust didn't occur in some background society. This was the epitome of European society in the 20s and 30s, and the final solution. Um, you know, the, the mass murder of the Jewish people wasn't this start in 1941 with the death camps. It started with the hate speech in the 20s in Berlin. It started with the Nuremberg laws. It started with Kristallnacht. And it was an evolution where people said, ah, leave them alone, appease, appease, it's not so bad. Um, and that's what the lesson for me and historians take out. So for me, I'm not saying we're going to, we're there tomorrow, God forbid, but I'm just saying, that's the message that we have to have and be vigilant. So, and we have to do more. We have to do more mm -hmm. with our police, with our center to prevent radicalization. Yeah. Um, and we have to speak to one another more and more. Yeah. Break and down we, the barriers of differences. And, and maybe just to add to that, one of the, um, I mean, we also, you know, with Cote d'Angie, the Bourbon, so ethnically and linguistically diverse, um, it's, it's nice to see and feel that, uh, you know, that, that it brings... It rings near and dear to people, and we are shocked, and people, uh, are, you know, are talking about what we can do. And one of the positive things, I think maybe it's more longer term, is, you know, with my kids, um, what they're learning in school now, you know, in fact, they, they talked about what happened in the residential school in Kamloops last week, and, and are things that would never, we would never talked about when we were in, in elementary school and high school. So, so more, you know, I, I mean, definitely positive and definitely um uh, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And, and thank you for, for that, for, you know, working on that motion with Christian Arsenault. Um, maybe another question, uh, which I was talking with Adam just before is what motivated you to run this time? 
to seek the uh, to run for the the borough and, mayor. And, and I wanna I wanna piggyback on that question and ask run specifically for mayor. Yeah, for mayor. Exactly. It's different to run for mayor than it is for city council. Yeah. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Well, you know, people who who've gotten to know me, um, both in my professional life, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, and, and as an elected official over the last almost 12 years now, um, know that I'm a, um, you know, not to not to try and oversell me myself, but people who know me, and, and this is across the aisle, uh, people from both sides, know that I'm passionate and I like to do things well. I like to know my files. Um, I, I like to make strategic strategic decisions, and that are able to get things done. Um, you know, and I, I try and say this with a certain level of humility, but that has driven me to say we can do better. Um, and the reason I'm doing it now, a uh, couple of different reasons. Number one is, if I'm going to do something right, I need to know how the system works. I need to know how the governance works, how the decision-making process works. And it's not evident. It's not easy to know that coming in in a first mandate. It really, really isn't. Um, I took that opportunity um, over the last, uh, you know, first four years um, where I was a city councilor and I really learned the ropes. In my second mandate, I was, quote-unquote, promoted to the executive committee. So I was responsible for infrastructure and government relations. Um, so I got to know really hands-on how things work, and I, I did a lot of changes. People don't always realize or know them, and we can maybe talk about it later, but, you know, structural changes, not just announcements for the sake of announcements. And over the last four years, obviously, I've been in opposition. I've been the leader of the opposition for, for three and a half years, and it's been a, a really um, enriching experience. Um, number one, I've been able to, I think, um, not only be a guard dog, which is one of the principal roles of, of being the opposition, but also being a constructive opposition. And I'll give you one stance. Over the last three and a half years, almost four years, we've tabled 134 motions at city council. And an incredible amount have actually been adopted mm -hmm. with the support of the administration. And I can give you a whole long list of a whole bunch of things. Uh, you know, sometimes they were amended, but I'm really proud of that. And I th think I'm at the point where I have such a, a, uh, a level of knowledge on so many municipal issues. Um, you know, I can really debate, exchange on, on so many issues. I have that knowledge of um, Cote d'Anege and DG, and I'm really... To be, to be honest, saddened by what's been happening for the last couple of years. And I just feel the population deserves better. And I believe that I have the wherewithal, the, the professional life experiences, um, as well as, as the vision to move things forward. And that's what I want to do. Um, so, you know, touching on, you mentioned about, you know, wanting to learn more about how, system work, how the system works and how governance works. So... Sue Montgomery is also in the Courage Party running. Uh, she's running for borough mayor as well. Um, and so far, what uh, she has focused on has a lot to do with transparency and cleaning up the bureaucracy. And also, from how I see posts online, a big focus on uh, cycling and, and biking. And maybe coming back first to the transparency and the bureaucracy, um, 
and you mentioned you've seen you know you've seen things change you've seen how things have been run in the last couple of years do you see that as an issue within the borough uh, in terms of the transparency and bureaucracy well you know it's one thing to talk about issues it's another thing to actually have a record to be able to point to and say that you've done something about it right and and, and this is not a knock on, on Mrs. Montgomery. It's a question of looking at what actual concrete policy, bylaw, or changes happened. And in terms of transparency and governance at the local level, the only thing that we can actually point to is a bylaw that I tabled that ensures that every elected official has the capacity to actually speak to the borough director, the CEO of the company, mm -hmm. because she forbade it. She said she is the, the, the you know, P CEO and everything has to go through her and her office. I contested that from a legal point of view. I disagreed. Yes, she has a lot of power. Everybody recognizes that in, in the law, but it doesn't go to such an extent that I'm not even allowed to speak to the head bureaucrat. And I had to table that I got the support of my colleagues. Sue contested it. She went to court. She tried to get an injunction. She lost. And we changed the way we do things because of that motion. Now, I could also talk about governance at the city center mm -hmm. on things that I've you know, done from a concurrently. But here is Cotonej NDG. So um, it's an issue not from a Cotonej NDG you know, um... it, It's an issue from a city perspective. You know, he, uh, uh, our uh, publication, if you could call it that, NDG Winning or our media outlet, we sent in a, a request for information, like access to information to the borough. Well, you send it into the center, but it related to the borough. And I simply asked for a list of all the expenses of the borough during a given year, during a calendar year. What did I get? I got a, a kind of kind of crookedly scanned in spreadsheet over a few pages. We posted it on our Facebook group a long, long time ago, which was completely unintelligible. It was uh, categories of spending which were unintelligible. You couldn't mm -hmm. analyze the document. There was no text recognition. It was like sort of written like by a squirrel, you know, and that was access to information. So, I mean, is, is, are, I mean can we come into this century, uh, Lionel? <laughs> I agree with you, and I think everybody agrees that the city as a whole and all its boroughs can do a much better job. First of all, that law has to be updated, right? It's a provincial law that hasn't been looked at in I don't know how many decades. But regardless of that, if we have a policy which is open data, which we have, then let's be more proactive, right? Um, a lot of times it's, it's a question of silos, it's a question of thinking that if you give too much information, it's going to come back and bite you. Uh, my philosophy is that if you want true accountability, then you should publish more. And the way you change things um, in a city governance is a couple ways. One is you have a very strong leader who will just try and push a lot of things through. Right, and everybody aligns themselves with that vision. Um, another way is to change it from a governance perspective. So you change actually the rules. Now it's a little bit more tedious. It's not a sexy political statement, mm -hmm. right? Um, people 
get lost in the technicalities, but that's how you do things. And I think there's a lot of opportunity. So I agree that we can and should do more. The question is how, mm -hmm. right? So I look forward to being invited on your uh, podcast once again, when I will present my local platform on these and other issues. Fantastic. You're, right. you're always, always welcome. Exactly. Always exactly. Welcome. Yeah. Um, did you want to jump yeah, in? So, so maybe I know one other or two. Um, oh, but by the way, Dave, on your second point. Yes. And that's what I wanted to get to. But cyclists, I, I will invite you. Yeah. Because I agree. We've been talking about bikes and, and, and bike lanes and bike paths right. and vases and yeah. terbun as <laughs> if like it's been the most incredible epiphany of, of what's going on for cyclists in NDG for the last 20 years. Right. Do you know how many actual meters were added of bike paths over the last three and a half years under a Corge Moyal slash Sue Montgomery? Is right. that, you know how many? Including, including the Nigerian NDG. Like including your and then the, or excluding the Terbon bike path. Excluding Terbon. Ah, that Montgomery one's special. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, talk, I'm talking about actually, you know, sustained. Okay. Fielding. Tell us. And well, in a couple of and Cote de Neige. Yeah. Well, you tell us. Really, uh, about 450 meters. Mm -hmm. Meters, <laughs> not kilometers. Meters. No, half a kilometer. A half a kilometer has yeah. been added. Yeah. And guess. In which district, though the majority of those have been added? Darlington. That's correct. Can you imagine? You know what? <laughs> what I would add to you, what I would add, and where I do agree with you is, um, as much as I am a, a a fan of cycling and pro cycling, you and other cities have taken, uh, you know, unilateral draconian uh, decisions to force people to cycle. I don't agree with that, and I don't think ramming a bike path down a, a, a borough or, or, or a street's throat is the right way to do it. There's got to be a right approach. You know, if it takes me, uh, for, for, for the, if the majority of NDGers and Cote, people living in Cote d'Ivoire work within a 5 or 10 kilometer radius, for them, whether it's public, it doesn't really change anything public and transit, but, you know, if you want to force uh, cycling and public transit down people's throats, but it's going to take you twice as long to get to where you need to get, it's not going to work. So I do agree with you with that, that it's, and, you can't just force it down people's throats. And all that is counterproductive. What yeah. happened with Terbun has actually pushed things backwards because now, since there isn't a buy-in from the local population, yeah. any new attempt is going to be uh, reacted to very negatively as opposed to taking a more progressive approach. Mm -hmm. You get buy-ins, right? Like 10 years ago, um, had we done... Um, we did a few steps, right? And people said, not enough, not enough. But guess what? Everybody has been now been able to respect some of those things and, and accept them. So sometimes you, if you have a, a two-pronged plan, for example, you do something on a temporary basis. You do the consultation first. Mm -hmm. You make sure you speak to the stakeholders. Then you do it on a temporary basis and you look at reaction and you find solutions. There's always yeah. solutions. And then after a year, maybe two, you can make it more permanent, right? Right. So it takes a little bit more effort, and it's a little bit, you know, slower. But guess what? Long term, that's how you're going to win everybody. And there's actual solutions to make things better, not just for cyclists, but for car drivers. Exactly. You know, um, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if studies have come out to see if rider biking ridership has gone up 
uh, as a result of the pandemic and going forward. But if you are looking for a progressive, pragmatic approach to Terrebonne, I got one. I'll tell you later. You let me know whenever you're ready. Look forward to it. Yeah, and it um, makes sense. By, by the way, yeah. um, one of the phenomenon of bike paths is, it, you know, you might survey a, a community, do you want a bike path? And you don't get a great response. But you put one in and suddenly it starts getting used. Like right. there's this kind of thing yeah. where the bike path leads to bike use. Yeah. But I well, want to change. It's, it's like it's like the philosophy. If there's the general philosophy, if you build it, they will come. Right. Right. I, I believe yeah. that's but, true. And that's true sometimes. But yeah. often, more often, it, it's not. When you change somebody's, you know, neighborhood, their actual quality of life, they, they can act very visceral. So mm -hmm. I, I want to increase public transit in a progressive way. But also in pragmatically. Understood. Um, there's a topic that you've been leading on, I think, citywide, and I want to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts on it. It's police body cams. Um, this is a topic which I think in NDG com touches really close to home. There have been a lot of incidents uh, in NDG of policing where body cams would have really helped, I think. Uh, can you tell us about that issue and, and what you're thinking about it these days? Absolutely. So, quick backtrack for a second. Um, in 2016, the city uh, mandated the police, the SPVM, to have a pilot project where they equipped just under 100 police officers for better part of a year. Um, and they came out with the report in early in 2018, right? So, in this mandate. And right away, the administration, uh, City Hall, uh, Madame Plot, Mr. Norris, who was responsible for, for public safety, said it's flawed. The recommendations that said it's not good. The technology is not there. It's going to cost too much. It's like, forget about it. We came with the exact opposite. We said, this proves that we should go ahead and do it. And, and the, the, it's a really a red herring what they came up with because since then their position has evolved, right? The, the city, the administration. Um, ours has been consistent. We have to do it. Um, it is a question of accountability. Uh, it's, a, it's a question of um, ensuring that people have confidence and trust in the police. And it's also to protect the police officers. People forget about that. Because very often, what do we see? We all have you know, our cell phones and videos, and it's a partial registration. And all the arguments about it being cost too much, not true. Uh, they said it's going to cost $40 million a year. You know, um, what should we call it? Toronto does it for, for a quarter of that now. And they have more officers than we do. Calgary did it for pennies. They said that they're going to have to hire 104 people just to manage the data. Okay, I'm not making this up. And we're like, it's ludicrous. And you don't touch the data unless there's a case, right? And there's nobody's yeah. pouring yeah, over these exactly. videos. Calgary, which is a third of our police force, hired three people. We're so inefficient in Quebec that we have to hire, you know, 104. I mean, come on. So all those things are gone. And what we've seen, especially with the incident with Mr. Kamara. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. That, that Although it wasn't the body count, it was a camera. Right. That a police officer said, wow, it's not the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, very in favor. Uh, it's an investment. Yes in public trust, in accountability, and it's going to pay dividends way more. So uh, I was, you know, we said it clearly in 2018, it'll be our first political promise 
for our election plan from 2021. I went, you know, I went out on a limb uh, on it. The police, the mayor has said that she's in favor of it now. You know, like it's it's gone on over three years. But guess what? They haven't done anything about it. Right. Yeah. You know, there was a, Quebec government has announced a, another pilot project with a whole bunch of police forces in Quebec. And guess what? Montreal didn't wasn't included. You know, you know, you know. It's like it's like the vaccines for the virus. You know, they they work in other countries. The the cameras will work here too. I think. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a great uh, podcast uh, from the U.S. called Embedded, and they just did uh, a really interesting podcast on uh, body cams in in the states and how certain police forces starting to rely more and more on body cams and how it brings better accountability. Uh, transparency, um, positive opinion of the police forces, and mm -hmm. I mean, so mm -hmm. I I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and for me, it's a no-brainer. And yeah. um, you know, hopefully, in the next mandate, uh, it'll happen. Uh, one one more topic I just want to touch on before we you know yeah. sort of start getting close to wrapping. Uh, basically, it's un under the general heading of diversity. Okay, uh, you know, you don't have to be a statistician. Okay, to look at the public service in this city, I'm talking about police, uh, the public transit, and perhaps even the bureaucracy. No, oh, and Hydro and, Quebec, who is probably trying to fix this massive because there isn't you enough know, diversity. And there's there's this monochrome factor going on in our public service, and 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 you're you know running for mayor of the most diverse uh, district, if not in Canada, certainly in, in all of Quebec. Uh, talk to us about that and how your administration could turn that around and quickly, not, you know, studies and all kinds of fluff. You know, how could yeah, that be we, fixed? We don't need studies anymore. We know what needs to be done. Um, and a lot of these problems are systemic. I'll give you an example. Uh, we presented a motion that, that earlier in the mandate at City Hall where we said from now on, whenever you have a posting for a job opening, you should... Uh, post it internally to existing uh, city uh, employees, but also in parallel to outside mm -hmm. to expand the pool. Sure. Because right now, it's not the practice, right? So what happens is if you have a systemic problem where you have a lack of diversity and you only allow, you know, the good jobs to be applied for by people who are within that system, you're really not going to be able to expand that diversity. So. These are the type of things you have to. Number two, you have to talk about it every time. You got to keep the public um, bureaucracy and service accountable and say, "I want diversity. I want diversity. I want diversity," and they will be more open to it. The other thing is, uh, SPVM, for example, it's a real, real big, it's a huge issue. But the problem is not hiring the SPVM. That's not where you get to the crux mm -hmm. of the problem. You know where you get it? You make sure that you get. Um, more um, people of diversity entering into the two CJEP programs that generate the people exactly. applying yeah. for jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's very nice that the SPVM is trying to hire, but if their pool are from two um, CJEPs that are the only places they can get new recruits, guess what? We have to go before uh, the recruiting of the SPVM, but to the CJEPs. Mm -hmm. It's common sense. But it has to be done, and sometimes you need people to think outside the box and point out the obvious to get it done. So, I, you know, I have a lot of, of, of uh, sensitivity to this issue, um, you know, in my own 
um, opposition office. I made sure to hire people that are mi visible minorities, mm -hmm. different backgrounds, and also just different um, perspective, you know, intellectually. I like to be challenged, and I, I like to have different perspectives because I have blind spots like everybody else. So that's how you make you stronger. And I think that um, you need to have a good relationship with the public service to get things done. This idea that you can come and 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 just you know upend the system and and shock the system, uh, shock and all, uh, it's not real. It doesn't work. It makes for good headlines. It makes yeah. for good headlines, right? It doesn't work. You know, yeah. feel, it makes you feel good maybe, but concretely, where are the results? It doesn't. You need to get them along. You got to know the rules, and then you got to ask questions and questions and questions, and eventually. If you ask enough questions and they can't answer them, they're going to change things. And then once you have that credibility, you can push them even further. So maybe before we go, I, I, I drove uh, one of my daughters to figure skating today and temporarily she's at uh, Braybrook Arena right now. So we drove from Mendy G to Cote and Cote back. And knowing that we were going to be uh, talking tonight, I was driving back and I realized, hey, how big the borough is. We know it's massive. Yeah. And the contrast too, you know, between Cote and MDG. Um, so you're, you've been representing Darlington, you've been focusing on Cote Neige, and now you're running for borough mayor for both Cote Neige and NDG. Do you feel that you need to make inroads into the NDG side? And if so, what are some of your thoughts about how could you, or would you, or to talk other, about making other inroads? Other than coming on our podcast. Other than, of course. Which, which is like... <laughs> <laughs> you got to start with the bang, and coming on the podcast is the way to start. Right I mean, on. Come on. That's right. Um, yeah, look, I I was born and raised in Cotonesh. Um, my parents did a little 10-year pit stop in in the West Island. They moved to Dollar in my teenage years. Um, and so, after I'm I came sorry, back, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. When I got married, um, we came back uh, you know, to our roots. Uh, we, love, we love the area. So, yes... Uh, I am a Cote d'Ange product, but I do have friends and acquaintances, um, and, and I've been exposed, obviously, to NDG, and it's honestly an incredible community. Uh, NDG has such a sense of community, of self, and, it's, and it shows at the borough council. People are vocal. They're passionate. So I admire it. And over the last 12 years, although I've been obviously focusing on Darlington, um, it's not like I've been ignoring NDG. And right. I'll, I'll be honest with you, in the last year and a half, I, I'd like to suggest that I'm the one who's been taking a lot of the leadership for NDG issues. And I'll give you three examples. Number one, Station 11. Uh, Station 11, uh, when our, our current borough mayor was informed, nothing happened. The second I started, uh, I was informed motion after motion uh, was adopted uh, at city council. We didn't, we didn't get them to backtrack. That's true, but you know what I did get? First of all, I got a moratorium on any further mergers anywhere on the island, and I got a commitment to a public consultation before anything else changes, where we will have the opportunity in NDG to revisit that issue, okay? Number one. Number two, Terrebonne Bike Path. It was, a, it, was, it was horrendous, the way it was implemented, and it was me and Marvin Rotron that had to come in and speak to the, the parishioners, to the old age homes, and to push the existing city councilors to backtrack because it made zero sense. So again, we got that done and we have the, uh, the citizen committee 
that's put in, put in place. They're going to hopefully come up with the report by the end of the month. Lastly, the YMCA and DG. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that when Cozumel downtown said, hey, we're going to buy this land uh, for $10 million. I'm like, wonderful. There's a whole contingency of people who want assurances about the YMCA. And they're like, yeah, yeah, here's the letter. And I'm like, this letter doesn't mean anything. We'd like to maybe hopefully stay open and continue to get giving services in the future at some point. That was the initial letter. And I, I said, this is unacceptable. It's 10 million bucks. Yes, they need it for their network, but there's a certain payback that they've got to use it for NDG. So I spoke to YMCA. I told them where I stand. I got Sue on board and I'm the one who came up with the idea and structured the language uh, of the commitment which was incorporated in the deed of sale. I mean, this wow. people don't know. It's in the deed of sale. Wow. It's a hard commitment hmm. that I had to make a, first a proposal at, at uh, the borough council, and I was threatened with putting the deal at risk, right? Mm -hmm. It's always the end of the world scenarios. Mm -hmm. And then at city center, I have, I have to push. After the YMCA gave me the letter, city center still didn't want to adopt it, and they finally did. So I think although, yes, I'm from Cote d'Ange, I can, I can, I have more of a track record on major issues in NDG than anybody else at our borough council. And I will say that I have to take the time and the opportunity to make those inroads, to be known, uh, to make myself known, um, to get people to get to know me, to get my track record, my vision. So it is a challenge. I'm up for it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned I'm, I'm, I'm in play, which means that if I don't get reelected, I don't get to go back to Darlington District. Mm -hmm. I'm taking a risk of not being reelected, but I'm doing it because I believe that our our borough deserves better. Cote NDG, two parts, wonderful. They've got similarities, but they've also got their you know idiosyncrasies and particularities. And I I'm fully right. cognizant of that, and I'm going to govern a court. I'm not going to be a Cote mayor. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be a Cote d'Ange NDG. Mayor for all Cote d'Ange NDGers. That's really <laughs> nice. That's nice. Um, uh, just to wrap, for those who don't know the finish line, I don't, I don't want I don't know all the gory details, but the YMCA, what exactly is the basic, basic? I know there's a like there's a part of it that's a park. There's some social yeah. housing or something. Tell us for those who don't know what the deal is. Sure. So basically, the, the YMCA had their current building. Right. Yeah. And they had a whole bunch of land that was used like as green space and, and yeah. you know, they had their activities and nothing. What the city did is they bought all that green space next to the building of the YMCA. So mm -hmm. the YMCA still owns their own building. Um, the objective is to eventually use that for the public good, right. which means that we're going to make it into a park. Uh, we're going to keep in some as pure green space. And the idea is also to use a portion of it in the next several years. It's not happening in the next two to three years. You know, they, it was raised on the horizon of, over the next 10 years of putting some social housing. How much, where, nothing's been studied, nothing's been decided. Um, you know, people do have a, sometimes have a reflex to be very cautious and worry about this, which I understand. So we have our job to make sure to, to, um, you know, to make sure the population feels comfortable with it. So it's a great opportunity. We got uh, a really a, a very reasonable price. Nice. Really, nice. that that I have to give nice. it to city center. Nice. We did not overpay. 
Um, and it's uh, a great opportunity. So, and, anyways, and, I look and forward. It's a, to and it's a beautiful piece of land too. I mean, it's perfect yeah. for very. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the people in the area are salivating for the fences to come down and just enjoy yeah. the green space. Yeah. It's one. It's it's probably the best green space for several blocks around. Absolutely. Apparently, where the St. Columba Church is a great green space, too. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll cover that on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, probably before or after the referendum. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. Uh, Lionel, you've really taken a lot of time out of your day for us. Thank you very much. We covered, I think, a lot of issues, yeah, and you kind of bring a unique perspective. Uh, as you were saying, having sat in opposition for, for a while and uh, gotten to know how the city works, um, sounds like you're, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're a, gr a great candidate for, for mayor and uh, hopefully you. to make things happen in NDG one, one way or another. That's right. So, and, hope, and, hope you have, and hope to have you on again uh, in the near future to talk about plot. Yeah platform and everything else is great thank absolutely. you absolutely we'll talk about uh, bike pass we'll talk about potholes we'll talk about <laughs> transparency we'll talk about nice. the hippodrome we'll excellent talk about a whole bunch of things. perfect excellent. thank you very much thank you Lionel. thanks guys anytime yeah. thank you okay so lionel has left the studio he's left the building left the building left, that's how you have to say it. left yeah. the building left our bunker where we still have power right <laughs> exactly um adam thank you so much for organizing this it was wow it was I, it was fantastic I, I thank you i thank lionel for coming on thank and uh we want to invite all the other candidates exactly may this be the first of many you know well suman grammar we've had on twice already so yep. this could be the uh, trifecta for, yeah, for the, yeah. our mayor. She gets a free, uh, uh, free beer free for beer. the third episode. <laughs> free t-shirt. Free t-shirt. Um, and Annalisa Harris, mm -hmm. who's on her campaign. Patrice Cesar, France Stoner as well. Mm -hmm. um, Lionel talked about Christian. Right. See if you would come to And of course, the OG, the original gangster, Peter McQueen, the, oh, the, the yeah. NDG the stalwart. NDG. Uh, Magda Marvin is Marvin running again? Who knows? Maybe he would the announce. Field is yes or no? Exactly. Kevin Cox. Yeah. And of course, Alex, do you know what Alex Montagano did? Tell us. Yesterday or today? No. What, what's the name? He brought overflowing garbage cans from NDG to City Hall downtown. No way. He did. He, he did. That's that's how much he cares about NDG. That's how much he's he taking cares. out the trash. <laughs> he's taking. <laughs> exactly. He's taking. So yeah. All right. Yeah. So. It was great. Thanks so much yep. and uh, all the best to our listeners. Take care, Adam.